the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We come to the end of the canon of St. Andrew. There is picked up for us at least one other companion in this canon of repentance, and that is more and more references to Mary of Egypt, who is one of the great icons, examples of repentance in the church. In fact, we have an entire Sunday and other services around that Sunday that reflect the centrality of, of her as an image of our repentance. We already had along with us, besides calling to mind all of those faithful ancestors, patriarchs, prophets, apostles, we have, of course, the Theotokos, who is always with us in our prayers, and Andrew of Crete, the one who penned this particular canon that we put into the Great Confidence Service. And it kind of assumes something that I think for many of us might be new, or something that we're still settling into, or even for those of us who are quite used to it, it's something that we forget. That we have all of these references to those around us, those who surround us, that faithful cloud of witnesses, because we need their help. That we, in this Lenten struggle, in our life, in our repentance, that we are not alone. We don't sin alone. Now this is one of the things about, if you hear the, the prayers of the church and everything, there is behind it uh, something that we're not used to in 2023 in America, or at least we're not used to the way rhetoric used to be. Which rhetoric was some way in which we were trying to talk to somebody and we're going to state things and we're going to say it very strongly because we want them to change their mind. Now we think of this as like sophistry or something wrong, but go read the prophets. <laughs> they stated things incredibly strongly. Go read Paul. Then you read the fathers of the church, and this is picked up in all of our hymnody. We don't sin alone. And what I mean by that, of course, is that you and I are born into sin. I, if you, have thought about it, to reflect it upon it, the sins that you are ensnared by, that have you by the throat, or just grasping at your ankles. I bet if you know your parents, or their parents, that there's probably some patterns and similarities of struggles. Because while, yes, we do commit on our own sin, and we are responsible for that, there is a real sense in which we have inherited patterns, problems, the pollution of sin. We don't just stand solo and that's it, but we're all deeply connected to one another. The teachings of the church that we see uh, throughout scripture, and especially in the teachings of the fathers, uh, is that there is no idea that when you sin alone or by yourself, 
that that is somehow just you sinning directly against God, and then nobody else is affected. That is not the arc, the narrative of Scripture. Yes, we have, like, against thee only have I sinned. That's true. That is right. That's literally Scripture. That's what the Psalms, right? But everything that flows from him, what fractured with Adam and Eve's sin, we deal with. We struggle with. So I can say we do not sin on our alone. What goes with that is that we don't repent on our own. In the most basic sense, of course, Christ himself did and accomplished the return for us. But all of us have to apply that repentance to our lives. And it is a teaching of the church that there is something that we hope in, this is why we struggle with our sins, especially those of us with children, so that we can in some ways mitigate, like take back, turn down the intensity of those things that are in our families so that they don't have to suffer in some of the same ways. They're going to suffer in many ways, but that there is in this repentance something that we are doing also on behalf of and for not only just those progeny of ours, but all of those around us. Just as sin is not some private thing, so our repentance is not just some private thing. Yes, we sin in repentance. We sin alone and we repent alone, but it's all connected. This is why we need the intercessions, because we need those holy ones of God, those friends of God. Look at the images of Scripture of the throne room of God. We had the hymn that we sang, O Lord of hosts, be with us. For beside you we have no other hope. Right? What is immediately would say, well, right there, Father, right? We have nobody else but you, God, to hope in. That is true. But he's the Lord of hosts. He is surrounded by the hosts of angels. He's surrounded by the hosts of those triumphant, those who put to death in them the sins that they received or the sins that they compounded, that they grew. They had to kill it. We need their intercessions because we don't repent alone. We need, this is the image from uh, the book of Hebrews, where we come to uh, the great cloud of witnesses, the holy mountain, right? And there is around us, as we run (coughs) this race, there are those, this whole image is those who are cheering us on. Those that we knew have already run this race, and we look to them. Paul says, You know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's exactly what the Holy Ones of God want. They desire our salvation. They have power, boldness before God. And we need them. This is, of course, because we stand at the throne of God, surrounded by all His Holy Ones who are cheering us on, and they have some effect. This isn't just pious talk, it is because especially, and we hear it in our prayers, 
that the mother of God has particularly powerful prayers. She has access to her son. This is something uh, that might sit uneasy for us or that we are still adjusting to because in so much <coughs> of Christianity, it's just me and Jesus, me and Jesus. And there's kind of no vision of the host. There's no vision of any access to the martyrs underneath the, the altar who cry out. Thinking of the book of Revelation, there is just a veil. There's some kind of shield or, you know, gap, chasm between us and those who are cheering us on. But that is never how the church is operated. So as we move out of this first week of Lent into the glory and the celebration that is the Sunday of Orthodoxy, let us, as we then return next Monday and Tuesday to what will become the grind of Lent, and it's a good grind, to not lose hope that when we start to despair, I encourage you, we're doing great compliments, just to basically an edited, elongated form of little compliment. If you have a prayer book, there's a little compliment in your book, especially the prayers before going to sleep that I said before the Mother of God, our Lord, the Mother of God, and then the Holy Trinity, that's in little compliment. I encourage you, read those before bed or add them to your evening prayers. Or if you don't do evening prayers, then do little compliment. Switch it up. It's okay. But remember all of those who've gone on before us, who have fought the good fight, who have uh, access to the throne of Christ, who stand there and intercede for us, who pray for us. If we think that there's power in asking someone here to intercede for us, would it not be so much more powerful for the mother of God, for Mary of Egypt, for Andrew of Crete, for all of those holy ones, those friends of God? Let us run to them. Let us ask for their help. Because it is God in us and in everyone else that loves God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.